How's it going, everyone? This is Grayson with The Conservative Nerd, and I am joined with me today by my friend Ken Drew from Taboo Topic. And I, I think I pronounced that weirdly again. I apologize, Ken. Very <laughs> <laughs> <No>, good. <laughs> uh, but uh, I apologize for the little break I was taking for the show, everyone. I was I've been in the process of moving back to Texas, so that was just hell to try to get done. So hopefully I'll be able to get a solid schedule <laughs> come down the pipe for you guys. So, uh, well, Ken, how you doing, man? Good. I didn't realize you moved back to Texas. That's big. Yeah, yeah. I uh, have a bunch of family and family stuff, bunch of weddings going on, and my family's like moved back. So I was like, you know what? Hey, if none of my family's in Florida anymore, why did, why should I stay? You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess so, man. I get it. <laughs> yep. But your show been going good? Yeah, yeah. So I took a little hiatus myself for the summer, at least for the month of July. I took a break. Mm-hmm. Um, cause current events, especially when it comes to shows like ours where our, basically our show is literally just critiquing culture constantly mm-hmm. and current event stories, it can really drain someone's energy out and mm-hmm. batteries yeah. out. So I reached a point where I felt really burnt out and I wasn't enjoying the podcast or writing portions anymore. It was literally, mm-hmm. it felt like an actual jaw. <laughs> yeah. So that's not a good thing. I don't want to get to that point. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, you know, let me get all these recordings done for the month of June. That way, you know, for the month of July, the audience has something to enjoy, which I don't think any of the stuff I really put out. Yeah, I don't think as a matter of fact, all of the audio recordings I put out were previous crossovers I did on other shows. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I still got stuff, but I was able to kind of take a step back and rethink the direction of the show and i felt as though there was something missing and i came up with the idea called starting a new series for your audience if your audience wants to explore the new series i'm about to embark on it's called blueprint and it's exactly how it sounds just like a construction worker when they get a blueprint as far as how a project the final project is supposed to look like at the end of it um that's essentially what I'm doing with this new series. It's a limited series, but it's a blueprint as far as giving the American voter a visual when conservatives talk about smaller government. When conservatives mm. talk about smaller government, it's normally like using buzzwords like, you know, uh, congressional term limits, you know, stuff of that nature. But they never get into the nitty gritty details like the X, Y and Z is, mm-hmm. and propose alternative solutions to some of the more. Uh, liberal proposals that we hear even liberals they don't really get they don't get specific with their ideas they just kind of give broad ideas and use buzzwords as well yeah um and it's like one of those things where it's people like the idea of smaller government but because our government has become so big and bureaucratic that uh what you would call it that in all honesty it's kind of hard to envision people to have a visual what it means to have a small government i mean that's just like mm-hmm. i said like i was yeah. watching a i was watching uh slightly offensive tv i want to say and it was like sydney watson i don't know if you know who she mm-hmm. is yeah yeah she from blaze tv uh, she's a babe <laughs> <laughs> well um i'm not gonna deny that but 
Um, what you may call it. She was talking to Elijah Schaefer and she was saying, you know, basically what I just said as far as I like the idea of smaller government, but what does that even look like? Like, what does that even mean sure. anymore? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we just accept the government as is and just hope the government leaves us alone kind of deal? And so which has um, never happened in the history of humanity. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So my friend Ryan uh, from Between the Liars, he's going to be pretty much the co-host. He's get, you know, we are it's a joint project, more or less. Cool. So I'm looking forward to it. And this last week we uh, which we call it. Yeah, this last week we started the series off by talking about congressional turn limits. So, mm, well, actually into specifics. I'll have to give me uh, uh, myself a listen to it <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, everyone, we're going to move on to uh, to our first story today. This comes from Inquisitor, former teacher sentenced to two months in jail for sexually abusing students. Uh, a former Texas middle school teacher will serve a 60 day prison sentence after she admitted to sexually abusing a former student over three years, beginning when he was 13. Um Bodine, I, I, I'm butchering her last name, but who cares? She's a pedophile. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, was also sentenced to 10 years probation. She will also have to register as a sex offender and undergo therapy. Her sentence is delayed until June tw- 2023 because of her recent. She recently gave birth to a child. Stations like KTRK and KPRC reported that the district attorney's office had office has asked the judge uh, to impose a sentence of 20 to 40 years instead of the lackluster sentence that she was given. Uh, She was arrested April uh, 2021 and charged with continuous sexual abuse of a child under 14. The uh, investigation started after she complained to her principal that a former student had been harassing her. She told the principal that the former student was making threats to hurt himself. She also claimed that he had somehow accessed private photos of her and that he then manipulated and shared. When uh, contacted about the allegations, the former student told police that she had gone through a divorce. The teacher had gone through the divorce and started talking to him through an online video game. The two started texting and exchanging explicit images and videos. The two started having sex in 2018, soon after the victim's 13th birthday. The boy said the abuse happened for several years, that they had sex in the classroom and her car several times. The boy was able to provide police with with evidence of the abuse, including many text messages and photographs he and the teacher exchanged while the abuse took place. Um... Wow. So uh, for two months for this kind of abuse is almost crazy to think about. Like, you think, uh, Ken, that it's specifically because the teacher is female? Because, like, I think <laughs> if the because if the, the sexes were reversed and it was a adult man, uh, abusing a 12 to 13 year old girl, the, the society would be asking for his head on a plate. And the, and the judges as well. So, uh, do you think the the sentence was a reflection of like 
the teacher being female as opposed to male? <laughs> so my honestly, my first thoughts were the what was the gender of the judge? Was he man? Because if he was a man, was he thinking with his dick? Um, <laughs> That's I mean, a good question. I don't yeah. know exactly who the judge was in the case, but he was a man. Was he, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, was he a man? And if he was a man, like, was he thinking with his dick? Because that's ridiculous. Um, I read the story that you sent me, and when it talked, when it said like she was only uh, going to be sentenced for sixty days, two months in jail, I was, I mean, I was in your in your camp as well, uh, because like I, like you were saying, if it was the other way around would be furious right now and by no measures would that man just get 60 days in jail by any means of the imagination no, he, he, he'd get <laughs> like the other like what they were asking for is like 20 to 40 years and to me personally i think pedophiles should either be chemically castrated or get the death sentence <laughs> per, uh, personally well, well i definitely would agree that the the, it needs more harsher punishments as far as um, I think for me, it's more about lack of consistency, right? Sure. And for me, if you're going to sentence a man to 20 to 30 years in prison, then that should be a universal standard regardless of gender. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of those flaws in the criminal justice system where I don't think it should matter whether or not a judge feels a certain way, top of way mm-hmm. about uh, the individual or individual case, I think if the person is convicted of something, then the only thing the judge is, is responsible for at that point is how long or how long will this uh, how long will this person have to wait before they're officially sentenced to their, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for the punishment of their crime. So for me, yeah. it's more about consistency than anything else. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and I would. I mean, I kind of I say the same thing as far as, you know, rapists in general. Like, I think they should get the death penalty. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think uh, they I think the criminal justice system is too lenient on stuff like that. <laughs> sure. No, it's so uh, pedophile. I, I don't think you can. I, and, I think there's some crimes you can come back from and in, reenter society. And then there's those that cannot. I think and, pe- pedophiles, murders and rapists. They've broken the public trust. But it's also one of those things, too, when it comes to gender roles. I mean, Mm -hmm. you were once a this guy, this kid was the boy was 13. Right. So you were Mm -hmm. once a teenager yourself to a hormonal teenager. Like this is an adult that's taking advantage of a hormonal teenager for her sexual benefits. And for the boys, teenage boys, but your audience needs to understand if there's any females out there is that we don't view this situation, we view this, they don't view the situation um, the same way that females do, at least mm-hmm. in the moment. If it's happening to the boy, like he's not going to know any better just how effed up the situation actually no. is. He's pursuing uh, him. To be honest, he's on, he was probably on cloud nine. Like, <laughs> that's from serious. Teenage boy's perspective and him going through puberty, he, he is over the moon. It for the situation. Absolutely. So, and, so to his friends, like he may be a legend to his friends, probably. You never know. Well, but well, sure. But I mean, the the teacher's not even that attractive. But I mean, still. Um, I mean, you get, but you get the idea. It's that's the mm-hmm. point. It's like for boys, it's a lot different for boys, and I think society has kind of adopted of, 
um, if a boy or man in general complains about sexual assault of any kind, oh, it's because he's a wimp. Like, are you really going to complain about a woman like approaching to you that way? He, he should yeah. almost be thankful that she's approaching him in any capacity. But that just goes to the evil of this woman to uh, take advantage of that. Because personally, would you? Here's a question: Would you think it is would be easier for a female teacher to uh, sexually abuse a male student as opposed to a male teacher and a female student. I think it's the, I think it's the first one you mentioned because I mean, honestly, a lot of the cases I've seen lately is actually female teachers approaching mm-hmm. young boys. That's like the majority of these cases I'm seeing these no, days. Absolutely. And the thing is, like, it'll make it to the local news, but the, you'll never hear the media talk about how this is an actual problem no, in the public sooner, school system. No, and, and actually, I, I'd say the mainstream media avoids talking about this. They, they much rather focus on the sexual abuse allegations that go in in the Catholic Church, for example. But I've never seen a mainstream media company talk about talk- sexual abuse that go on, goes on in the public education system. They would just go after a man pursuing a female student in a public mm. school setting. They, mu- they much rather do that and make a national phenomenon about it than the other way around. Sure. Um, and again, it's not one of those things where I don't want, like, I think they both, des- my point is they both deserve to be getting national attention. Like, this is a mm-hmm. real problem. Absolutely. Especially when there's already a controversy concerning the LGBTQ agenda being pushed mm-hmm. down on children and a lot of conservative parents and just people with sane minds, I should say, parents with sane minds, they feel as though this is grooming kids to accepting pedophilia, essentially. And this validates those concerns. No, and maybe absolutely. this classroom, they're not necessarily pushing down the same agenda necessarily, but it kind of validates as far as this is the direction the public school system is going. They're mm-hmm. not really doing anything about it. They don't really seem to care a whole lot. So, now, uh, would you say that um, having the um, like teachers when they are having like these sexual conversations in classrooms about like health and stuff in, in their health classes in middle school, you think it actually makes it easier to for these pedophiles to actually like go after children because they've already had these more explicit and adult conversations with these children. That's an interesting question, but I would say yes, because children are not going to know better versus an adult. And especially, I mean, I think I've said this before. I'm not sure if I said it on your show or maybe it was on my show, but kids are very gullible. Like they're young and if they're gullible, no, gullible enough to believe in Santa Claus, chances are you should not be having sexual conversations with children and imposing yes. your worldviews about sexuality on kids without the parental consent. Let the par- like mm-hmm. I rem- and I think I've said this story before to you as well. If not, this is for let your audience, you know, hear the story for the first time. I bet you how much I definitely have talked about on my show, but I remember a time where I, my friend and I convinced another friend to put fingernail polish, right? 
on it and he was like <laughs> right dumb kid stuff dumb boy yeah. stuff right element Definitely. i think no we were elementary he was like one grade below us and he was like on the cusp of entering middle school mm-hmm. so uh we were like trying to mess with him and he went to school the next day with his red fingernail polish but this is a, i just want to give your audience a very clear visual how much society has changed in our lifetime and i'm 26 years old by the way so mm-hmm. i'm not that old so this yeah, is like ima- age, so <laughs> yeah imagine for imagine for parents who are like are in their 30s or 40s or even the boomer generation like how much change they've seen but i remember the next day uh my friend came to us all mad because the school uh teacher sent him to the school nurse to remove the fingernail polish and they called the parents up to let them know hey your son had fingernail polish on that's just to give wow yeah that's just to give your audience a picture how much society has changed as far as we went from pretty much the social contract as far as communicating to your parents about little stuff like that to now we want to hide that kind of stuff and if anything we try to celebrate when a kid starts acting some type of way we try to it's really we put we roll the red carpet as if they actually Mm -hmm. know what's going on as if they actually understand the difference between their imagination versus reality what's normal versus not normal Exactly. And so when you're talking, having these sexual conversations in more subtle ways, you kind of push the boundaries little by little. Eventually, it'll get to a point where the kid won't recognize that when you that teacher is making a sexual advancement towards yes. uh, them, they're not going to recognize right away that what's going on is actually very inappropriate. And I say mm-hmm. that in very professionally uh, on your podcast. I could say a lot more words about that. No, teacher, no, but, absolutely. No, and, um, and I think that if you've read any or done any research about how pedophiles groom children, that's how they they slowly like encroach and like I, I forget the terminology they the they use for it, but they make the child as comfortable as possible with uh, them. And and I think even having these sexual con- te- uh, conversations, even on a surface level, can open up for those that steady, like encroachment onto these children. Oh, for sure. And like I said, when it comes to teenage boys in particular, to an extent, I feel like teenage boys are more vulnerable just because of our our psyche is so much different mm-hmm. than the female psyche in that moment. Yeah. Like you said a moment sure. ago, like that 13-year-old bull was probably all cloud nine during that whole scenario, not recognizing yeah. that situa- the gravity of the situation, which, I mean, it's it's disgusting. But at it, the same time – It is time, absolutely disgusting. At the same time, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you kind of think like, like a 13-year-old boy. It's, it's dark, morbidly humorous to an extent as far as – the boy is so naive he doesn't realize he's so clouded by his hormones he doesn't realize the gravity of the situation yeah you know he, he doesn't he thinks <laughs> he, he doesn't know that the teacher cares nothing for his mental and emotional well-being he's essentially and, a piece of meat for these teachers these evil women exactly and the thing that really bothered me about that story is when you were reading that off and i read it earlier was it always it seemed like the teacher and this is a very classic pedophile move, right? Where mm-hmm. it's not, it's never their fault. It was the kid. Well, the kid did this. The kid did that. Like, no, this should, you should have never even let it get to that point, period. That, yeah. This is 100% your responsibility. You initiated mm-hmm. this. You 
gave him the impression that what you what this relationship was was actually normal that this was okay don't put this on the kid this has nothing to do with the kid that's that's not his fault and it'd be the same they'd be saying the exact same thing if it was a female student and a male teacher they would be they, they wouldn't be blaming the girl but all of a sudden the sexes are reversed and it's the male student's fault like how do you square that in your in your mind Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think what's what I know it's going to come from this. I hope there's an appeal by the prosecution at the end of mm-hmm. this uh, to make it longer because like for that consistency purpose, it doesn't make any sense um, why the judge would just give this woman 60 days of prison when at the end of the day, like she did rape a kid. Yes. It's mm-hmm. rape. <laughs> That's the yep. bottom line. She had underage sex with. And what, it's not like one of those situations where it's like a 19-year-old and dating a 17-year-old. They had sexual intercourse, mm-hmm. and they're not, you know, and the, and it's not a teacher, it's not a teacher-student relationship. On top of that, mm-hmm. uh, this is like, I would like she's well into her adult years, and this guy yeah. just is just starting in his teenage years. That's yeah, what we're talking just about. Turned, just turned 13 years old. So exactly. The, what uh, another question I want to ask is: They said they like had intercourse in the classroom that should never happen a, a teacher should never be alone with a student in any capacity i believe in, in a in a school setting i i think matt walsh uh said uh <laughs> tweeted or something that every classroom should have a streamed um video feed that all, any teacher that has a kid at that school can access and should be recorded. There should be. I, I don't think, as opposed to like bathroom, the bathrooms, there should be no private area in a sc- public school. So this is one of those things where I kind of have mixed feelings, right? Okay. And so this, and this is the reason why I have. I'm going to throw this nuance in there, right? Okay. Um, because I went through the public school system just like you mm-hmm. did, and. I didn't necessarily grew up in a great home per se. Mm-hmm. And there's parents out there where for the kid being that school environment is the safest environment for them. Mm-hmm. And, and for them, they may feel comfortable talking to teachers or school counselors. And I don't mm-hmm. know. I just think about like for students, like who are, in, who are in my situation, right. Okay. In the sense yeah. of like, if I was in a situation and my those parents have that much power to where they can ask to, you know, t- ask to sh- send them recordings of this of the classroom, the conversation I have with my teacher that I don't want them to know about of what's going on in my house of the abuse mm-hmm. kind of deal. Then there's that. Then you're kind of at that point, I think uh, you're further endangering the child at that point. So, okay. like, which is a valid concern. I, I, I can understand where you're coming from in th- with that. So it's like, that's why I, I kind of have mixed feelings about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Matt Walsh has said like, there's no moral reason why you should be against it, but I just gave you one right there. No, and, uh, and sure. <laughs> um, but I do understand that. And I've had private conversations with teachers, but, and not in the sense of sexual intercourse, obviously. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it was for, you know, I needed to talk to someone. I needed to like mm-hmm. 
you know, I needed that environment. I needed that safe space. So it's one of those things where I think, um, I think it's a little bit trickier than people imagine when it comes to Mm -hmm. the idea of classrooms. I definitely think if anything, um, there should be like an open door policy. If it's going to be like, let's say, let's say you're going to have a conversation, one-on-one conversation with a student, First and foremost, make it after class, but make sure the door is open and there has to be like another teacher across the hall with his door open as well, mm-hmm. you know, or two other Not teachers. Like, like completely yeah. alone, like alone, but, but alone enough to have like privacy so you can have, so the student teacher can have like that confidentiality in case the student sure. needs it. But it also holds your teacher accountable in a sense, you know. The teacher uh, wouldn't be able to have intercourse with a student. Exactly. So I think there's so I think like policy like that could actually be more beneficial um, mm-hmm. than having a camera in the classroom. Again, I get the sure. point. Of, I get the idea of a classroom camera in the classroom, but that's mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, I think there's I think there's another way to go about it at the same time. So um, but yeah, I kind of wonder about the parents, though, too. Like, mm-hmm. what were the parents and all of this? Um, sure. I mean, they, well, thinking I, I know some parents don't take as interest in their child's uh, online activity as my parents did. I mean, they had blocks on everything and they, <laughs> they could see everything. Uh, and so it's like, I, I didn't have private, like privacy online. Like I didn't have like my own computer till I was like, well into my teenage years. And still that was locked up with like parental controls. So I, I didn't really have these avenues to, um, like I'd say get in trouble through like online games and stuff and be exposed to these other, like more predatory adults, you know, mm-hmm. as kids n- nowadays, but I'm sure it's a lot harder for parents to keep an eye on their kids online activity now, as opposed to, well, uh, yeah. 15 years ago when you, we had razor flip phones and, <laughs> and YouTube was just starting off too, before it was owned by Google. Like we were just talking about that yes. uh, before the show started, how YouTube, I uh, was a much different world than what it is now before Google bought it. Um, it was the wild West and, uh, mm-hmm. parents didn't really have to worry about that as much versus now. So I would, I wouldn't, I do want to be a parent someday, obviously, but mm-hmm. A part of me is terrified to be a parent because of how much access now kids have to the internet versus when we were growing up. Uh, if I could take our my kid or kids, depending on how much I have, um, I would take if I could take my kids to like the nineties or early two thousands. <laughs> sure. At least when I we would. grew up, when like we didn't have to worry about all this online stuff. Like not only that, but be, that especially at the time when like they'll be growing up, like you and uh, our our separate kids like we don't know what technology is going to look like in 10 15 years when they're going to be in their teenage years you know what i mean like it's essentially probably going to be like like the movie gamer like <laughs> like that's what i think and that's going to be a scary world to try to protect your kid in you know what i mean oh i agree um but i also wonder though too as far as uh, the conversation I mean, this is going to have this makes me think about like, all right, if I'm if I decide to actually send my kid to public school, which I'm like leaning towards. No, um, the older I get. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but if I were to send my kid to a public school, I'm just thinking uh, one of those scenarios of how 
won't be an appropriate age to start maybe talking to the kid about looking for red flags, kind of like when mm-hmm. we were growing up, like, hey, don't get into a car with a stranger kind of deal. Yeah, don't uh, take candy from strangers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> stuff but like it's going to yeah. be like there's going to be like a new layer to the conversation now that sure. didn't exist before because of that social contract used to be a given between parents mm-hmm. and, and uh, teachers, but it's no longer there, unfortunately. No, uh, like you said that story about your friend with the nail polish. Now I'd even go as far to say is if a teacher reported that to the principal, that teacher would probably be reprimanded or fired. They're, yeah, like, they would probably be viewed as uh, transphobic or homophobic, whatever. Um, how dare you question gender roles, something along those lines. And, mm-hmm. and uh, how we've known that teachers actively hide these things from parents. And they're encouraged to. Oh, absolutely. Um, It makes me wish the days. I wish I was like growing up in. I wish as an adult, I'd rather grow up as an adult now. Mm -hmm. Growing up in the 2000s after (laughs) 9-11. You know, granted, I understand it was a scary time. That had its own set of issues. And maybe it's just nostalgia. But when it comes to the Internet wise anyway, and the social contracts that we're talking about, I want to go back to that time period for kids. Mm-hmm. Like I think our generation Absolutely. was the last generation where it was okay to still be a kid. You'd still watch shows on Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney without having to worry about indoctrination and mm-hmm. like without uh, adults literally trying to groom kids into thinking this is normal behavior or this is acceptable behavior or even not even like – if you're libertarian on your, if there's like libertarians mm-hmm. on your show who like take issue with what I said, ignore what I just said that and just view it as whether or not it's appropriate for a kid, right? Yeah, like if absolutely. Is a kid, is it appropriate for a kid at that a certain age to hear these things on television or at a public school grounds without at least talking to a parent first? Like, parent, who do you think should have the power at the end of the day? Should parents have the ultimate power mm-hmm. when the when those conversations are going to be held? or the entertainment system or the government, which the public school system is run by state government. So yeah. which and one I, is it? I think, I think most libertarians would lean towards the parent having that <laughs> the decision. The I would final agree. Say in that. <laughs> um, right, I would agree. Well, we're going to move on to the next story. This comes from Bounding Into Comics. Um, Fiona Shaw describes a new Star Wars series, Andor, as great, um, a great take on the Trumpian world, says showrunner, created a, quote, whole new morality. Andor actress uh, Fiona Shaw made it abundantly clear, excuse me, I can't talk, that the upcoming Star Wars series will be a political commentary on Donald Trump rather than a Star Wars adventure. So starting off, just coming in hot. Uh, Andor is described by Lucasfilms as a series that it, quote, explores a new perspective from the Star Wars galaxy, focusing on Captain uh, uh, Cassian Andor's journey to discover the difference difference he can make. The series brings forward the tale of the burgeoning rebellion against the Empire and how people and planets became involved. It's an era filled with danger, deception and intrigue where Cassian will embark onto the path that he is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. The series is created by and showrun by Tony Gilroy, who wrote Rogue One's A Star Wars Story, uh, Michael Clayton, as well as the Bourne Trilogy and the Bourne Legacy. 
Shaw, who plays a character named uh, Mar- Marva, spoke to, uh, spoke <laughs> with Empire about the upcoming series, telling them, uh, quote, Troy uh, Gilroy has written a great take on the Trumpian world. Our world is exploding in different places right now. Uh, people's rights are disappearing and Andor reflects that. Uh, in the show, the Empire is taking over, and it feels like the same thing is happen- happening in reality, too. End quote, she explained. Shaw later praised Gilroy for implementing real-world politics into Star Wars. Quote, I was impressed by Troy's uh, so- social realist intentions. Uh, she wrote that Gilroy w- has created a, quote, whole new morality. As she, uh, and put it into the show. She said he'll create a whole new morality. It's very deep and humane. There is grief, mourning, hope, fear, and it's all it's not all just primary colors here. As for Gilroy, he previously indicated the show would be contradicting previously established Star Wars canon. He told Vanity Fair back in May, quote, there are certain events that happen in these five years that are important and need to be paid attention to there are certain people's characters that are legacy characters that the audience the passionate audience really feels that they have an understanding of and know in some cases they're right and in some cases what we're saying is what you know what you've been told what's on wikipedia what you've been telling each other is really all wrong he then relayed Gilroy then added, it's upside down or it's sideways or it's the opposite of what you thought it was uh, thought was true or it's way more interesting that you had ever thought or that's a lie. And there's a reason for it. I would say that there's some surprises in in store. So, I mean, right off the bat, I, I think after. Man. I, I don't think Disney is learning from their mistakes and and is doubling down on the, on this crap. And to me, when I first saw the Andor trailer, I was like, I was pretty like I was like, OK, this looks interesting. Like I, I personally liked Rogue One uh, as a Star Wars film. So I was I was a, a little like nervous, but I was like, OK, this this could be good. But now I, I my hopes are pretty much killed for this show. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> So first and foremost, I heard um, the Obi Wan Kenobi series did really terrible. Apparently, uh, <laughs> so um, and apparently, I mean, I don't know. My friends enjoyed I, it. I watched it, and it was. Uh, no, I didn't pay. I I pirated it, mind you. I didn't. I didn't give Disney any money, but I was interested <laughs> in seeing where this story would go and it seemed like where Boba Fett and the Mandalorian their whole scenery was so grand in the scenes and the the episodes Obi-Wan didn't feel like that everything felt so contained condensed like small in comparison to the last two shows it was kind of almost disappointing like I don't think they'd have any issue with funding for the show i mean disney has an ungodly amount of money so i don't know what they were thinking with the with well obi-wan <laughs> well i will say that i did enjoy the final fight um that was really good between darth mm-hmm. vader and obi-wan that was really good um but i will say this as well that 
Dizzy does seem to be interested in promoting agenda, obviously, as we just kind of alluded to a moment ago with the last story. Um, especially I don't, with Obi-Wan Kenobi series, one thing I noticed was I thought it was supposed to be, I thought Obi-Wan was supposed to be mainly protecting Luke, not Leia. Mm-hmm. And 90% of the show was centered on Obi-Wan and Leia. Luke was just mm-hmm. kind of like an afterthought until the very last episode of the season. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things like they're just trying to promote the, you know, they're trying to promote women empower women, mm-hmm. but they're completely forgetting about the boys as if boys don't deserve a storyline of their own and yeah. deserve uh, screen time as well. And so, I mean, this is kind of taking a step further. This is kind of adding steroids to something that, I mean, they've been grooming the audiences, not to, no pun intended from the last Mm -hmm. one, but they're grooming audiences into accepting this kind of storyline, which it would not surprise me if it did terrible again. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially given... Go ahead. I I was going to say, I mean, every time Disney doubles down on this, I mean, Lightyear thankfully bombed. Um, A lot of the most recent Disney projects have bombed pretty much to my knowledge. So um, and they go go broke. (laughs) No, no. I mean, exactly. So and if they want to keep seeing more and more Star Wars fans stop watching their the content that they put out, then. And my thing is this, too, like, let's say your audience, like, they don't care about that kind of stuff, right? They don't they, maybe they don't mm-hmm. mind, like, the Leia Obi-Wan storyline, which I'll admit, like, I didn't mind it too much. I was just kind of disappointed, I guess, that Luke didn't yeah. get more screen time. Um, I didn't care for the other uh, the one of the Inquisitors that was uh, that was part of Order 66 that night. But she survived somehow. I forget her name all of a sudden. Ray, not a Ray. She's not Ray. But you get, you know, what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Um, like I didn't mind like that storyline either. But for me, if your audience is listening to this and you don't mind that kind of stuff, I think the one thing you should be really irritated by is the fact they're not trying. They're not even trying to go through. They're not even trying to make this canon. For, they're not trying to use the canon to explain the story at this point. Like this is completely different. They admit it and they brag about yeah. it. How yeah, exactly they're, they're they're saying that they're changing Star Wars canon with this Andor show. I don't know what specifically they're planning on changing in the years between like when in the Empire's Rise. So I don't know what they're planning on changing, but I I have no clue at this point. But the f- mere fact is they're saying it's like a take on the Trumpian world where tr- like it's funny that they can't seem to like um, the irony is they think the trumpian world is the empire that's what's ironic probably i'm I'm assuming that's what they're gonna push for i think that's i'm pretty sure that's exactly what they're pushing for i have very i'm being a little being a little pessimistic when i say that and maybe Mm. maybe they prove me wrong and they actually show trumpian and, you know, the Trump world, the Trumpism, whatever, in a more positive light. And that's what they're trying to do to the Trumpian and try to humani- uh, humanize us kind of deal. I doubt that's what's going to happen, <laughs> but it's really yeah, ironic. I and doubt funny. I doubt it. Yeah, but it's really funny. As you mentioned, how I mean, they're they honestly just they honestly believe that the Trumpians are the ones who are being the empire and persecuting people and 
you know, well, they always see themselves as the rebels, the good guys. I don't think I've ever seen a piece of Hollywood content that where the liberal progressives are the bad guys. I can't think of a single no, because they I, never paint themselves in a bad light. No. And the irony, I mean, the irony of this is what, given what happened this Monday, which we'll get into that story mm-hmm. uh, later. It's, uh, it, it's one of those things like, if that story didn't wake your eyes, open your eyes to the reality of the situation as far as who's really acting like a empire in the mm-hmm. Star Wars term versus the rebels, then you've been manipulated to the point where you're you're the definition of brainwash at this point. There's no other way around it, I could say, to put it lightly. Well, well um, another interesting point is they can't seem to let Trump go. He's not the president anymore. So no. why would this be a take <laughs> on a Trumping world where we're, Trump's not the president anymore? Like, it, it makes no sense to me to wh- how they could spin this. Like, like who lost rights? Yeah. Under, and again, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just trying to think this thought process through. I mean, the empire is like, like through, as canon sets right now, I mean, they enslave the entire Wookiee race. I don't remember the Trump administration enslaving people um, and like conquering worlds. I don't remember a, a single country uh, America conquered under the Trump administration. So I, I'm kind of curious on how they're really going to spin this in their delusion minds. <laughs> well, what I was just going to say is, again, to your audience out there who may not necessarily mind mm-hmm. uh, the story itself you should be upset about the story writing process and how they're going about it uh you should be upset about how they're taking the original canon and they're trying to literally spin it and turn into something that's not star wars essentially yeah. it's not they're, Star Wars. they're, at that they're point. butchering they're they're butchering lucas uh george lucas's like, see at that story. point yes yeah. and they're, and because of that, you know, from a non-political standpoint, that should piss you off right there from a sure. non-political standpoint. Um, and I could and maybe there's a liberal out there who lis- who's listening to your show somehow because they're curious of what you have to say or what we have to say since I'm on your show tonight. Uh, and they agree with what we're saying. And maybe that's what we need to maybe that's how we need to tell people to look at this not necessarily from a political standpoint but also from a standpoint of uh just a respect matter of honoring a already established canon and or it's just okay. the cult classic of star wars like if you're a genuine star wars fan i don't i don't see how you could be okay with any of this like them going more of a political take instead of they say it blatant uh, blatantly that this is more of a political take than a genuine Star Wars story. They're they're going off the rails, essentially. And it, as a fan, and you and I both have talked about Star Wars, and we're both solid Star Wars fans, like, we want good Star Wars content. But we won't get this with this direction that Disney is taking with Andor and the future Star Wars projects. Like, we're, we're not going to get good Star Wars content with this direction. No. Um, and it's disappointing because 
it is, it is a great being story. A Star Wars, we we want like there's so much it, potential. We've talked is, about this before. There's so much potential with the Star Wars universe, and then doing this is almost I'd say a slap in the face to the fans. I mean, it's insulting to the fans' intelligence that they're not going to pick this stuff up watching the show either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're not going to pick up like it's like I understand that Star Wars always kind of had a political undertone um, mm-hmm. because obviously it's a civil war. And even the prequels, that's, and I guess that's one of the main complaints about the prequels. There's too much politics involved, but wasn't specifically focusing on, you know, like what they're trying to do right now, like focusing on this specific uh, time period to reflect America. They're just, they're just talking yeah. about, it was within the context of the story and it made sense. It didn't feel mm-hmm. forced. Exactly. And you could see. And I think you could tell like a political story, like with the prequels, without taking a actual like one-sided stance. They're blatantly taking a stance with the, these this new content. So I think if you can do a good job of staying neutral as you tell the story, then that's fine. And I think fans are okay with that. At least just uh, maybe indifferent to some point. But when you start taking a avid stance <laughs> in your content. I think that's uh, different. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Um, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, I don't To be honest, I didn't realize that I was coming out. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize that I was coming out until you sent me that uh, the mm-hmm. other day. Uh, and I think I've kind of fallen off the rails a little bit with uh, Star Wars. Disney's kind of I mean, it's been rubbing me the wrong way. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I don't blame so, you. But, so, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, I'm not so sure I'm going to be that interested in watching the story, but mm, yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, it's sad because uh, Cassian was such a cool character in Rogue One, like as a Star Wars fan and somebody who enjoyed the Rogue One movie. I would be excited to see more content with him in it, but not with the, through this left leaning political lens you know it, it's it just can't make for good star wars content or content in general and i was gonna say i was watching the boys on amazon which has been a decent show i'd say like it's it's a very interesting take on like superheroes and i mean the cast is phenomenal but the thing i caught with this last season is the left in hollywood has stopped like like they have no qualms about like making conservatives people on the right out as a like evil side. Like they have no qualms about their open disdain about their political opponents. And it shows in the content like the boys, essentially the evil Homelander and the boys is supposed to be Trump, obviously. And no surprise all his like super fans are red blooded Republicans and it's the, (laughs) and and they're just open about it. They're not hiding their disdain for us at all at this point. Yeah. And I will say like, I have some liberal friends who do not like the direction of Hollywood is going because of how hard they're trying to portray uh, people on the right, a certain type of way. Um, And so when we talk about the left, when I talk about the left, and I'm pretty sure you're the same way as well. As far as like at our level, 
I think the majority people, liberals anyway, probably recognize that this is not okay, and they mm-hmm. don't. They probably are turned off, turned off by what's going on in the entertainment world. I would it's hope just, so. Like, there's a, I would, yeah, I think there's a, I think there's just a difference between the elite, like they're in the Hollywood bubble, versus mm-hmm. like the actual consumer, like they're that out of touch with the consumer and their tastes and perspectives as far as like what constitutes a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to push your political agenda does not make it a good story. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, and that goes for like conservative content too, or like it, and it's in coming from like a Christian perspective as well like some christian movies are really corny and cheesy like i'm gonna admit it <laughs> because they try think... too hard <laughs> no it, yeah, they, try... they, they definitely try too hard they're like talking about like gang violence and then the next sentence is like when's the last time you've been to church buddy like it's just such <laughs> it's <a> unrealistic <laughs> it's so unrealistic. it's so jarring yeah i know what you're talking and, about and that's what makes like <laughs> even though i'm not dissing like christian movies but it's it's just it's a little unrealistic so i i think there's there's uh room to grow on both sides <laughs> i heard the the gina carano movie from the daily wire like i heard it was okay it wasn't great though and oh, i think really? i i didn't see it but i did like the run hide fight i think that was a that was a good movie but yeah i haven't uh, well, seen the gina carano well, uh, movie yet well, I guess before we move on, I guess when it comes, if we're going to critique conservative movies, is that a lot of conservatives, at least the ones that Daily Wires are putting out, because that's pretty much the only mainstream conservative uh, company that's actually trying to replicate, push back, push back <laughs> culture wise anyway, yeah. and actually come up with their own films. Um, so Which I mean, I, I I applaud their effort. Like I I want them doing this. Uh, like, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree with them. Um, if they could. Uh, include a free trial so I could actually see what kind of content they have. Then I'll sign up for it. And, and you know, if Ben Shapiro's listening to the show by one million chance, like, Hey, that's a smart business decision to have free trials, but I digress. Um, <laughs> um, maybe you'll hire me and that'll be part of the negotiation process with Ben. But yeah, anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm looking out for you guys, but anyways, no. So what I was saying is like the Gina Carano movie and really all the daily wire movies so far, they're trying really hard to, how should I put this? It's like they're trying hard to be different in the sense like they're not pushing the same woke narrative by pushing their political agenda. But at the same time, the movies that they're producing, it's not any different than the movies you would find on Netflix or Hulu as well. In the same mm-hmm. in the sense of the protagon- the main protagonist is a female still. And we mm-hmm. need stories where the men we need stories where the protagonist is a strong man. Like yeah. we need just as much of stories of strong women as a strong man. And like the Gina Carano movie, another example of a strong woman being the main protagonist that somehow was able to fight off like five, six gang members in this little area in that in the Which middle is, of nowhere. Unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm I guess saying women can't I mean, not not any heat with Gina Carano. She's great. She's just But a, as far as for that time period, everything like that, I get Yeah. I get they're trying to give her a break and kind of give the Hollywood the middle finger. Like that's what mm-hmm. I mean by, you know, they're trying to push back against Hollywood, but at the same time, like they're trying too hard. Um, mm-hmm. Like you could have done that differently and make the story make sense. Sure. And you know, you could have had it's the a- same issue I have with like the female spy movies where you have this a hundred pound girl soaking wet heel kick, 300 pound security guards down 
staircases. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Not only that, but if it's like a fight and they both people are like martial arts experts, like the female wins, which I, you can make the argument like maybe, you know, the female won by technique and everything like that. But as far as like overpowering the man and they both know martial arts and the guy's like very fit. Very... I don't think that's I don't think that happens in real life. I don't think no, yeah. <laughs> no, no disgrace to female fighters. Uh, I, I, I'm sure they're the probably will kick my ass. Kick my ass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to. But yeah. <laughs> no, anyways, but, anyways, uh, I mean, I might. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyways. Um, but but no, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, if we're going to critique, you know, both sides, like that would be my main critique with the conservative movies so far anyway. And the mm-hmm. Christian films. Well, it's like we're not saying neither of us are saying to the like to the audience listening is like we, we want the Daily Wire putting out conservative content to combat oh, absolutely. Like Hollywood. But like they they need to get like better at it and and they will get better at it. I, I'm hopeful that the more content they put out, it's going to get better and better. Well, if they hired me, I'm sure that everything that, will all true. be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they hired both of us, actually. We're the yes. entertainment nerds in this one, so. <laughs> absolutely. Well, uh, I think we're going to move on to uh, one of our other stories, and I'll let uh, you, Ken, uh, hit us off. Yeah, so if you're a conservative or just an American, unless you lived under a rock, you pretty much heard that Donald Trump's home in Florida, Mar-a-Lago, got raided by the FBI. Uh, this is from Epoch Times, but Eric Trump revealed more details about the FBI raid because obviously no sitting president had actually given the head the thumbs up to raid, use the FBI and raid a former president's home. And President Biden may pretend he may not know. And maybe he genuinely did not know because he's I don't know. I'm not even sure he knows where he's at half the time, to be fair. But I, I think it's weekend at Bernie's in in the White House. <laughs> personally <laughs> but definitely somewhat he definitely have he definitely had something to do with it at least like mm-hmm. um when it came to the fbi and targeting parents who were speaking out at school boards of virginia for example it came out like joe biden like was a part of that uh push as well so i wouldn't be surprised if joe biden was also part of this push um but regardless despite what he says i don't believe it when he says like i had no idea what happened like I don't really effing believe it, despite I have I partially yeah. believe it, you know. At the same time, sure. Um, I I don't think there's a universe where Biden wasn't at least in the know that this was going on. Not only that, I mean, how can you not know you're about to raid the former president's house, like your exactly. predecessor's home, private home, mind you? And mm-hmm. so, yep. with that said, this created a lot of questions and even CNN give credit words to the clown news mm-hmm. network, uh, give credit words to even their legal analysts said like their allegations that their FBI is claiming to justify the raid would have not been enough to warrant a raid on the former president's home. And the reason why I say that, so this is a, from Epoch times, uh, the FBI revealed they wouldn't, so this is what apparently said, according to Eric Trump, that the FBI agents wouldn't hand over the search warrant during their uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago and remove the attorney from the property. Uh, there was 30 agents there, uh, and they told their lawyer that they had to leave the property right now and turn off all security cameras. That's so, strange. 
right? That create that creates more questions then, right? And Absolutely. then Eric Trump and then Eric Trump went on to say they would not give her the search warrant, so they showed it to her from about ten feet away. They would not give her a copy of the search warrant. Uh, the attorney which, Christina which to me sorry to interrupt, but to me, like I don't know the law specifically, but it like in my understanding, if you serve a search warrant, you actually have to serve a search warrant. You actually have to like give the per- person on the property like like you have to hand that over. So I don't know the legal ramifications of not doing that. Like, I don't know if it's procedure, but I, I don't know. I don't know the exact really. details either because I've yeah, never but, been part of that process. <laughs> yeah, me but, neither. But go ahead. Sorry. But I'm. May- you know, based on what happened Monday, like maybe the FBI is like listening to our conversation right now and they're thinking about raiding our homes. Who knows? Yeah. Hi, um, FBI. Yeah. Uh, I, just so your audience knows, like I will not I will never kill myself. Just so you know. Anyways. Uh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> anyways, Christina Bob, the attorney, was confused as to why the FBI couldn't present the search warrant, according to Eric Trump. Uh, it's all a coordinated attack with the FBI, he said. Do you think the FBI director is going to raid the former president's house, especially, as you know, kind of a world renowned as Mar-a-Lago without getting the approval of President Biden, as we just kind of mentioned a moment ago? Uh, the younger Trump said security cameras weren't off. FBI agents access areas of the property they weren't. They shouldn't have been, he claimed. Uh, former president confirmed the FBI raid on his property on the evening of August 8th. Both FBI and Justice Department haven't issued public comments about the matter. The Watch Times has contacted both agencies for comment, but have not returned. Uh, unconfirmed reports and anonymous sources say the raid pertained to Department of Justice probe into whether Donald Trump held onto government documents after he left the White House last year. And actually, I do want to say that Donald Trump said that the FBI had a conversation with him a few months back or a month ago or two ago, talking about how he had certain classified material kind of out in the open in his house and they told him to put it in the safe. And he put it in the safe, and that was pretty much the end of that conversation. This was apparently yeah. under the guise of the National Archives that Trump took classified documents before he left the White House, and the National Archives knew this. But again, even the CNN and uh, CNN legal analyst said like that would not have warranted a search war or a raid, I should say, of 30 FBI yeah. agents to a former president's home. So you know it's bad when CNN is calling you out on your BS. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a bad sign. <laughs> that's a real bad sign. Um, you know, granted, there's obviously there's media pundits mm-hmm. in the mainstream that are celebrating the fact this happened as if uh, as if Trump actually did any wrongdoing. But this was, uh, as I put it in my statement in response to the raid, a nuclear option. Like they're this desperate, mm-hmm. they're this scared of this sure. man of running again that they're doing everything they can to make sure to use the legal system to ensure he can't run again, which yeah. unless he's a convicted uh, felon and he, honestly, like there's no reason why he can't run. I think constitutionally speaking, like there's no, yeah. uh, there's not many, there's not many clauses in the constitution that tell that prohibits someone from running as president. As long as mm-hmm. you meet the basic requirements, uh, be a U.S. citizen, and I, for, I forget the exact ins and outs of the Constitution as far as like the requirements for president. Yeah. But Donald Trump meets those requirements. Sure. Um, and that's and, why they're pushing so hard with the Kabuki theater. That was the January 6th hearings that have been going on. Um, 
And it's just to 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 your point, they're doing everything they possibly can to prevent Trump from running again, because they know if he ends up running, he's not only going to be the instant Republican primary, but he's going to win the general election, I believe. Assuming, of course, we don't get, you know, the dead people don't decide to go ahead. I'm just kidding. Uh, Yeah, they they, nothing like that happened, of course. Wink, wink. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there uh, Donald Trump actually issued a statement on August uh, 8th, and I'll read that right now. He says, um, these are dark times for our nation, as my beautiful home in Mar-a-Lago in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. Nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. It is a prosecutorial misconduct. I'm I'm sorry, I can't talk. The weaponization of the justice system and an attack by radical left Democrats who desperately don't want me to run for president in 2024. Exactly what we're saying, especially based on recent polls. Uh, who will likewise do anything to stop Republicans and conservatives in the upcoming midterm elections. Such an assault could only take place in a broken third world country. Sadly, America has now become one of those countries, corrupt at a level not seen before. They even broke into my safe. What is the difference between this and Watergate, where operatives broke into the National uh, Democrat National Committee here in reverse, Democrats broke into the home of the 45th president of the United States. So and, and that's kind of like that. That's harsh words coming from President Trump. And I, I I'd be pissed off, too, if I was him. I was going to say, you think that's harsh for President Trump? <laughs> uh, I mean, he said a lot more outlandish things for sure. But I think that was probably like the most yeah. disciplined. I would say this. He, that was probably like the most disciplined uh, critique he's ever responded to. And that's sure. despite well, I think it was just harsh towards like America as a whole, because him essentially saying that America's one of the third true. world countries where this happens, like in Venezuela, uh, for instance, it's it's it, it, it hit, it's a hit to the gut, you know. And a part of me, I mean, especially with everything that we're seeing right now with the amount of spending and the economy, it almost it's a gateway to a third world country like they're setting things up to get to that point it seems like mm-hmm. no absolutely. And political persecution is part of the process it's part of the package of turning the country into a third world country because they're trying to obviously push for the great reset this is all part of the great reset mm-hmm. and it's not conspiracy because absolutely. it's literally publicly available information you can literally go to wef.com the world <laughs> economic forum and they bl- brazenly brag and talk about their agenda about how they're trying exactly. to create this new world order by 2030 you're gonna, you'll own nothing and be happy like that's literally their agenda and it's on their website mm-hmm. like nothing yeah. i'm saying you can't find right on their website so it's all part of the great reset uh where mm-hmm. there's no sovereign nations and there's one this one world world government no public and, property your your yeah, and, mind in like you kid, parents don't have control over their kids anymore they just like birth them out and then get thrown into like the workhouses essentially. And uh, Donald Trump is a threat to that agenda. And of course. The Trump, the Trump, really the Trump uh, movement in general is the great resistance, if you will. You want mm-hmm. the left talk about you were the resistance, like, nah, like you guys are actually taking part of the great reset. 
trying to create this new world government where they're actually trying to disregard human life and take away your freedoms that you claim to care so much about. Um, I, and the funny thing is, I like they claim to be the rebels in this, but like they're the ones in power right now. And to my knowledge, every single like like I'd say mass human atrocity has been committed by left leaning political governments. I, I by like world standards, I I can't think of a government doing like you know mass killings or stuff that is a right leaning government by American Western standards. Could you think oh, yeah. of any? <laughs> I mean, not off the top of my head, no. But I will say this, though, too. Like, if they're trying – it's one of those things, though, too. Like, if – because I wasn't sure if Donald Trump would run, but now I'm 100% mm. positive he's going to oh, run yeah. now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like I, if, I think, yeah. <laughs> just left – if they just would have left – left, 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 excuse me. If they just, just would have let him be, you know, leave a, let a sleeping dog lie, leave him alone, let him live his life. Mm-hmm. Chances are, I have a feeling he probably would have not run again. He just would have campaigned sure, for exactly. his people kind of deal. And Rob DeSantis was a pretty good candidate for a lot of people. Um, personally, I didn't want I don't want to see Rob DeSantis go because obviously he's a great governor of mm-hmm. uh, let's say Texas, great governor of Florida. <laughs> um, how dare you leave Florida, by the way? But anyways, uh, <laughs> I know uh, what's we call it. But now at this point, like. Even, they guaranteed him running in no, 2024. They, no, did they guarantee him running for 2024, but they guarantee him the Republican ticket at this point. Like, mm-hmm, it's absolutely. Pretty, as some media outlets have admitted to, it's pretty much going to be a coronation for Donald Trump <laughs> when it comes no, to the Republican I mean, primaries. Even uh, the past few days, there has been mass, like, Trump rallies, like, in supporters outside Mar-a-Lago, like, like with really, Trump flags and stuff. It, so it's like... You, they've pretty much set off his <laughs> 2024 uh, ticket. And it's interesting because for a while, I still think we're, we were going to see a red wave regardless mm-hmm. of the outcome yeah. of Roe v. Wade. And there, but there's some conservatives who are kind of worried about that, how it was going to affect the midterm elections, especially what happened in, uh, I think in the state of Kansas, it was, I want to say, they tried to pass yeah. an amendment and it failed. And people were like, maybe it's a little bit more important than the Republicans are given credit for. And the way I looked at it was, well, here in Florida, it went to Trump hardcore, but we still mm-hmm. voted for some more progressive ideas, such as higher minimum wage standards. I would have, for me, I've kind of viewed it as abortion will kind of be treated like a separate ballot issue, not so much as the actual candidate perception of economics kind of deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think Um, Roe v. Wade was enough to shift, um, meter to the other way. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it, I mean, Ben Shapiro said before is the elections decided on who the referendum is on. And I don't think Roe v. Wade was enough to shift the referendum from Biden and his administration to the Republicans. I don't think that was enough to sway. Well, uh, a good majority of like, uh, like moderate. But it's interesting because this has completely taken the focus off that Uh, even though the media was trying, mm-hmm. even though the media is trying really hard to like make that like an actual election uh, issue, now this is taken over, and by no means this is going away because nothing has ever happened like this before in our nation. Period. Yeah. 
to where, mm-hmm. like I said a moment ago, no sitting president had ever used federal agencies to raid the home of a former president on what basis? Exactly. Nothing. No, Literally nothing. 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 <laughs> do you think we'll actually Displacement? Go ahead. Uh, the, do you think we're actually going to get to see what was, like, the record of the warrant? I know, I know I some think- organizations have set out for Freedom of Information uh, requests, but I So, I actually— know. The magistrate judge just ordered the release of the warrant documents as of like an hour ago. So, really? Wow. Yes. So, yes. Is it still the magistrate is the judge that, like... I don't think it? so. I would assume no. Because <laughs> I know um, Bruce... Um, Brennan, something like that? Reinhardt. Uh, Reinhardt, or, yeah. And he was like a... Rep- was. And he was a representative for Jeffrey Epstein, which I don't know, like, how much that plays into a factor in this scenario, sure. like... At the same time, though, like I've heard rumors and here's it's the thing. And, yeah. And here's the thing, too. Like when it comes to stories like this, when there's more questions than answers, it's better to kind of like uh, just kind of wait and see as the information comes out, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I don't really say that word. I throw that word around. So when I say a lot of misinformation, yeah. I mean a lot of misinformation. Like there's some misinformation out there concerning uh, whether or not. This is about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. They're trying to protect him. That Trump was a, was a threat to, which I'm not saying it's impossible that that's the case, but that's not confirmed either. I'm not mm-hmm. taking that as fact. Uh, you think if with uh, Trump's eventual like like hope, like being optimistic, Trump's run and if he wins in 2024, do you think he'd immediately push for investigations into Hunter Biden and essentially all his wrongdoings? You know, I think well, right now, well, the thing is, like, right now they're already pushing it. And that's despite the fact that Joe Biden is in office and mm-hmm. Joe Biden, even the, again, CNN lately, CNN has actually not been that bad when it comes to reporting and journalism, which, again, give credit words to. It's still 90 yeah, percent sure. shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's yeah, 10, you're right. 10 percent of it, though, like so far, like I think it was like Brian Stelter out of all people was actually. Uh, pressing the gas pedal on one of the Biden administration's uh, cabinet members and saying, like, this is not a right wing conspiracy thing or right wing media thing with Hunter Biden. Like, this is a real story, which, mm-hmm. ironically enough, during the election of 2020, he laughed off when it came to the allegations of Hunter Biden. But now he's acknowledging this is real. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it's a sign the media is trying to turn on Biden and say, like, hey, uh, it's time to step down. Like, let's take let's pick someone else that can actually. Uh, well, be- not only the media, but I think I was uh, watching the news the other day, and there were several Democrats openly saying that they no like wouldn't support Biden in a secondary term. Like many people, including including people like AOC. So, like I think Biden's really losing the support. What little support he had of the Democrat Party in the first place. I mean, I think Tunick said. If I was them, right, I would mm-hmm. look at Joe Biden and say, you had one job, and that is to yeah. – you had one job, and that was to act like you're the president. We'll do the dirty work for you, but act like you're the president, like you're actually in charge. But he's doing so bad. He is so far gone mentally. Like, he mm-hmm. is not pulling that off whatsoever. Did you and see – people can see <laughs> – Side note, did you watch his uh, conference, like, a few days ago when he was talking about, like – a father having to like look his child in the eyes i'm almost positive he said look his child in the ass like i'm not even joking it was it was close well 
Well, maybe he's trying to remember the times he might have, you know, sexually assaulted his own daughter from that diary that he probably yeah. heard not about. <laughs> yeah, that may or may not that, have been uh, verified uh, by Project Veritas until the FBI raided their offices, mind you. <laughs> yeah, now, again, one of those things, it's like you add a gas to the fuel. It's one of those things where if you just leave people alone to do their business, like chances are like some of these stories will go away by itself. But because mm-hmm. you're trying so hard to hide it, yeah. it's one of those things like when you tell someone don't look – What's your tendency to do? You're going to look now. Now you're real, now you're curious as far as it, like, why are you telling me not to look? Yeah, exactly. It's like the, the mind game is like, don't think of a pink elephant. It's like the it, instant thing you think of, you know? So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, so- I think it's fishy. I mean, even uh, news sites like Politico were reporting that uh, Bruce uh, Reinhardt was like, had clients that were connected with Jeffrey Epstein. Now is that connected with all of like, is that actually like a, like a key to the story? Maybe, maybe not. I hope more information comes out about who, what clients he was actually like working for under Epstein, but. And to an extent, it almost seems like their world is starting to crumble down. Like their scheme that they've worked for so long to keep in the dark it's all cracking. Like the lights are starting to crack through mm-hmm. the dark tunnels and they don't want that. Well, and go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say like <laughs> to an extent, like I think they highly underestimate people's intelligence and mm-hmm, people's sure. uh, willingness to just go along with the flow per se of what, you know, they wanted, wanted us to do. They completely underestimated that. Yeah. And so now just literally hitting the panic button Mm-hmm. And hoping that somehow they can regain control, but Trump broke them in 2016. That's just the they, bottom line. I mean, they're still they're still broken. Like they they it, Trump is trending like every other day on Twitter. They cannot like he lives rent free. It's the same with Kyle Rittenhouse and liberals. They could not stand the thought that Kyle Rittenhouse, who was in their mind was an avid racist, even though he shot three white guys could have gotten off scot-free <laughs> like and he's still locked inside progressives minds nowadays like they they can't get him out of their uh <laughs> their minds no matter what they do so the well, fact is and another uh side note to the story is this is reminiscent of when barack obama was essentially like weaponizing the doj to go after christian 501c3s like that was a story that was covered up by the media that nobody remembers but like maybe biden's playing by the same playbook as his buddy uh, obama or maybe obama is the one that's running things behind the scenes who knows i don't know Uh, i will say this and this and um to your audience listen to the show right now i want your audience to know like when i talk about these allegations and i think that they're that's just that they're allegations i don't know how true they are Mm -hmm. Uh, take it with a grain of salt so (laughs) um i will say that when it comes to the application of law in the united states right now especially when it comes to the fbi the fbi since really the progressive era under woodrow wilson um, has been used as a political toy more than anything else. I'm not saying mm-hmm. the FBI hasn't done some good things along the way, because it has. But for the most part, it's been used to silence and, or target uh, people who do not agree with the government's agenda and view them as a threat as a result. Mm-hmm. And that's 
and it's been under Democrat leadership, and it's also happened under Republican leadership. So this is not mm-hmm. one of those things like it's only Democrat leadership that's happened. Under, no, it's, you know, it's, it's the FBI, it, but, their role that they've been. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people out there listening or watching what's happened in the last really 10 years, especially what happened on, with the whole Hillary Clinton email scandal, for example, that all of a sudden after one meeting Obama had with James Comey, for example, that all of a sudden he was good. You just dropped the charges with Hillary Clinton. Like no one. Not only dropped the charges, but changed the law. Yeah, like people didn't think the law. People didn't think that would actually. People didn't think that people would actually notice that. So, um, anywho, so there's a conversation that needs to be had, I think, in the United States as far as whether or not uh, the FBI is something that we should even have at the federal level anymore, and maybe it's Mm -hmm. time to abolish the FBI, um, which. I'm not totally against at this point because yeah. the FBI to me has been proven to be ineffective and just be used as a political toy. And I will say this as well to any liberal out there who's been comparing or calling us hypocrites for supporting the blue, the police, and then all of a sudden being anti FBI. Let me tell you something real quick. When it comes to the FBI <laughs> and the police, they're two different uh, entities. All right. They're in the, within the criminal justice system. Yes, but they're mm-hmm. not the same career field. And that just shows you and your audience is how little they understand uh, the complexity and the diversity, I should say of the criminal justice system. Like I support the blue. I've never blindly supported the blue either. Like I've criticized them when it was necessary. Mm-hmm, sure. But when it comes to the police and the FBI, by far the police, which is more like local levels, by the way, state governments or local yeah. governments that run the police for the most part, yeah. uh, they do the good they do far outweighs the bad versus Absolutely. the FBI. The bad has far outweighed the good that they've done at this point. It seems like anyway. And well, so it goes to show that that even it, it's I'd see this is a warning for Americans as a whole that left, right or center. If the government has a tool like the FBI. It will be used will by use either party. They're, they're going to the, the government is a big gun. If you give and if you wield the government like a gun, it doesn't matter what party you support. They're going to have that party, uh, that power when they get into office and they're going to use it. So this is just a warning and almost like a caution to like the like massive government federal overreach. I will say this as well to anyone who's calling us hypocrites for uh, claiming political persecution when we would chant things like lock her up with Hillary Clinton. I will admit I took part in that, and I still have no shame <laughs> saying that. I still think she deserves to be in jail. Uh, there's a difference between someone who is not a career politician, who is not part of the inside bubble, if you will, of the mm-hmm. elite class, versus and the application of law being applied there, versus the application being applied to someone who's within that circle of corruption. Um, not within like a circle of corruption. I say the circle of corruption with all the people <laughs> the Clintons are like connected with the, the like when Trump talks about the swamp, those are the swamp Unseep. monsters he's been referring to. George Soros, uh, who was a Klaus Schwab, those individuals. Yes. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, and all the myriad of higher the the uh, Prince Andrews. 
essentially anyone the pedophiles. Who to, yes. <laughs> anyone who went to Jeffrey Epstein's island is in, in connection with that. Now, all, all pretty much majority of Hollywood, I'd say as well. I mean, it doesn't, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, even who was that comedian during the Globe, Golden Globe Awards? Where it was when it was like, like the Academy Awards? Yeah, yeah. And he and literally he just, was he just calling them out. Oh on my their, gosh! Calling them out that. on the secret stuff they do behind the closed doors, even though they lecture the Hilarious. public. Like you can't do this, and he's like, dude, you do the same thing. You do, or you do, yeah. and you do shit ten times worse than what you call than we lecture the American public doing. Like, shut yeah. up. <laughs> the funny thing, the the sad and. It's so sad. It's funny that all those actors went up after Ricky Jarvis and did the exact same thing he told them not to do. <laughs> I, they, they went and did, they went ahead and did it anyway, confirming and that just shows you how like detached they are from the American people and what we actually like care about. So, well, that was my uh, final thoughts on that story. Before we move on, uh, do you have any final thoughts on this story? Go out and vote, man. Go out and vote in the primaries. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Florida, uh, you missed out, but uh, here in Florida, at least in my area, my precinct anyway, uh, early voting takes place in a, this Friday for me. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go ahead and early vote. Uh, do yeah. your research, especially when it comes to local politics. Don't take your local politics for granted. And actually, don't. if you're a registered Republican and you care about uh, your country, actually do your research as far as like who's part of the inner circle that we just Mm -hmm. talked about versus who's outside actually wants to make effective change actually wants to work for you because those people uh those people they're not looking out for your own interests they're actually they're they're on their own interests and the interests Mm -hmm. of their donors they serve the donors not you so that's all i gotta say on that and i i'd almost build off of what you said not not only um, like take an interest in local politics, but um, actually be get involved with local politics. Politics, like do go into your local school board and g- go to these meetings and be a part of these these like conversations. That's where you're gonna actually have like th- I'd say the majority of the change that you can accomplish is on a local level. So be a part of your local community in that way. Absolutely. Um, vote and don't forget what happened on Monday, mm-hmm. August 8th, 2022. Don't forget mm-hmm. they declared whether you know it or not, they declared war on you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, we're going to move on to our final story. Uh, this comes from NPR. Most Americans support uh, using the popular vote to decide U.S. presidents data shows. Uh, Most Americans support using the popular vote and not the electoral college vote to select a president, according to data from the Pew Research Center. About 63 percent of Americans support using the popular vote compared to 35 percent who would rather keep the electoral college system. Approval for the popular vote is up from January 2021 when 55 percent of Americans said that they back the change. Uh, 43% supporting keeping the Electoral College at that time. Opinions on the system varied sharply. According to the political party affiliation, 80% of Democrats approve moving to a popular vote system, while 42% of Republicans support the move. That's high for on the Republican side. Man, uh, though many more Republicans support using the popular vote system now than after the 2016 election when support was 27%. 
There's also an age divide. Seven out of 10 Americans from ages ages 18 to 29 support using the popular vote compared to 56% of Americans over 65. Uh, There have been five presidents who won the electoral vote, but not the popular vote. John Quincy Adams, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, which I'm actually related to, uh, Benjamin Harrison, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. So you can kind of see like them admitting in the article that Trump wouldn't have become president if the electoral college system wasn't a thing. This that was their whole mindset behind this article, I feel like. (laughs) And they definitely have an agenda behind it. Uh, What do you think about the the polling and how do you think that can affect uh, the country moving forward if like the majority of people, I mean, the founding fathers warned us about mob rule, and that's why we we are not, in fact, a pure democracy. But what are your thoughts? Well, let me ask you this. It seems like you're against the popular vote, national popular vote, right? Yes. Okay, so let's we're on the same page on that. Um, so when it comes to the poll and everything like that, I think just like with any poll, I mean, the fact they had to go out of the way to mention that Donald Trump would have not been president in 2016 shows you the bias of the polls most likely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never took part in this poll. I don't know about you. I don't ever, I really no. never, no one ever asked my <laughs> opinion about these, uh, these questions or anything like that. So I, I, I don't wonder think they care about our opinions either of ours. <laughs> yeah. So they, so, you know, they targeted specific groups that they know they'll get like a certain result and make, it sure. seemed like a certain way that I wouldn't be surprised if the seven ten out of, Seven out of ten Americans from uh, the younger generation, Generation Z, the Zoomers, whatever, mm-hmm. um, from like college campuses, yeah, or just like graduate just out of high school right now. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was actually pretty accurate, which I could see that being true. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, sure. the popular vote, national popular vote, is actually not is not a new phenomenon in the sense that. Uh, this is actually a lot lower still than like that. Its highest approval or desire to have the national popular vote uh i actually was writing an article uh as you sent me that article no pun intended but no <laughs> um i i actually the research and in 1968 the poll they polled americans as far as whether or not they favored foregoing the electoral college to go with the national popular vote uh it was at 81 percent in 1968 wow so put that in perspective, if you're conservative and you actually like the electoral college system, uh, it's a lot lower. It kind of it's kind of gone back and mm-hmm. forth in like low 60s, uh, mid 50s. But it hasn't gotten up as uh, the last but the last highest was 1981. And it was like at 75 percent. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was like it's that was like the last time like we even broke 65 um, as far as people who wanted the national popular vote. So it hasn't really, gotcha. the meter hasn't really shifted a whole lot. Okay. So give me once for your audience out there. Uh, mm-hmm. so like, oh my gosh, like this is the result of, you know, people not understanding our economics. Like this has been the electoral colleges. I don't want to say it's that it's complicated, but it's complex. And it can, and if you don't understand something, I can mm-hmm. understand the appeal of something like, oh, the national popular vote. Why would we just, majority rule yeah it makes so much sense so i can see why the appeal exists but as you mentioned there's too many can of worms that would open up if you just do Mm -hmm. the national popular vote 
despite the flaws with the electoral college system, it protects small states with, I should say small states. Uh, when I say small states, I mean states with small populations. Like Oklahoma is yeah, geographically not, like not that small. Yeah. It's like yeah. Oklahoma is talking about like places like California, New York, Dallas. Versus like those, Iowa, for example, right? Yes. Like those, those places, if we went by the national popular vote, Basically, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, Chicago, and New York City, maybe Miami, uh, would probably determine the election, the outcome of the election sure. every single time. And <clears throat> excuse me. And also, the candidates would probably just mainly campaign there. They would just completely ignore rural and suburban America at that point. No, now, that's exactly what they do. They they just go from all the major cities, ignore all the small towns, and they wouldn't like. They, they wouldn't lose any <laughs> anybody. No. You know? And I will say this as well, that I will acknowledge and admit the flaw of the electoral college system in mm -hmm. this capacity. That as far as one of the main critiques, as far as uh, the electoral college system makes it to where uh, it the candidates only have to focus on swing states. But I'll push back and say that's actually more of a result of the weakness of the party platforms as far as yeah. their willingness to appeal to the base of that area of that state. Mm -hmm. So so they would vote for them. I mean, Obama managed to flip red states that hadn't flipped red in generations. And yeah. um, but that was because he in 2008, anyway, he came across as a centrist, moderate. Uh, he honestly, the campaign that Trump ran in 2016 was Obama's campaign in 28. 2008, yeah. 2008. Well, I, I'd, even, I'd say more that there's video of Barack Obama saying that marriage is between a man and a woman. Like Obama, I'd say Trump was more pro like gay marriage than Barack Obama was at, like in his first term. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where. It's a valid argument as far as, yes, candidates would focus more on swing states but it also shows you the lack of willingness for you to actually try to appeal to that state like trump went to states that the democrats laughed at him for even trying mm -hmm. to go but like, they laughed at him going like are you going to pencil trying to campaign pennsylvania wisconsin michigan yeah okay good luck and guess what he won those states because he actually campaigned there and tried to appeal to them so it's sure. not really so much so i don't so even though it's a valid criticism at the same time though uh, the nuance to that, obviously, is really not so much about the system itself as much as the uh, as much as the candidates and the party platform. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'd agree as well. And, and even that that criticism, how valid that criticism may be, isn't enough to go f like completely can the electoral college like that. That's not enough reason to essentially go to complete mob rule at that point. Well, not only, well, that's so there's that. I mean, to me, it's like it's like someone getting a cut and they take a knife and they turn that cut into a scar. That's what would happen if you get rid of the electoral mm -hmm. college system. Like the electoral college system has its cuts. It has its flaws. But if you get rid of it, all the problems that you're complaining about right now, it's going to be 10 times exacerbated. Yeah, it's going to be 10 times worse if you get rid of it. Now, I do have some criticisms of the electoral college system, but it's not really so much about the college system itself as much as the popular vote. Yeah. Uh, compromise. And 
I can get into that if you really want me to. And I can, you know, to my audience out there who's listening to this show right now, who's crossed over, like this is a foreshadow for your audience and my audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I cover, give you foreshadow as far as my perception with the flaws of the electoral college. Um, yeah. I'm actually in favoring in favor of amending the constitution to kind of create a electoral college system within the states itself as well. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Because, so here's my argument for, it. and it actually kind of feeds into the concerns as far as why people want to get rid of, rid of the electoral college as far as, well, candidates only focus on swing states. Well, I got, a, I got a solution to that, um, to where it's, it basically would turn every state a swing state. And here's why. So my idea is this, and I have it on my, I have like the draft of my article up here with me right now, actually, as we speak. So um, this is my idea. So my idea is based on the idea of, let's take a state like California and New York, for example. If it weren't for the cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco and California, the majority of California, geographically speaking, even though they have smaller precincts and they don't have nearly as many people, their voices get drowned out even because of the fact of those big cities. Mm-hmm. The, geographically speaking, California is more of a red state. Same with New York. If it weren't for New York City, yeah. New York City would act, New York would be a, a red state, at least based on the current system we have right now, the Electoral College, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you make it to where the precincts within the state, you have a point system. And the point system is 100 points. So whoever gets the most out of 100 points, no, 99 points, because then you have to you <laughs> run into the issue. 99 points, right? Yeah. Uh, 99 points, whoever gets the most out of 99 points, uh, that's the amount of electors I'll go toward that the state will be awarded to. So let's mm-hmm. say it's Trump versus Clinton in California. Uh, and Trump manages to get like a 40, let's say 51 points out of 99 points. Well, that's a majority right there, right? Mm-hmm. That would, that means the state would go to California to Trump. Now that now California's become a battleground state. Same thing. Wow. Right. Right. That would. And so that in a way, it addresses the issue as far as candidates only go to swing states because they're right. Trump's not going to go to California and try to win the votes of California as it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as much as Biden is not going to go to a state like Alabama because Alabama, by the current standards anyway, is going to vote red every single time based yeah. on the current standards. But if you make it to a system like that, now every state now, the, now both candidates have to campaign in all 50 states, every single – as many precincts as possible because every mm-hmm. single state is a, is a battleground. It also forces them to remain moderate as well. They can't be so extreme to where they, they only have to appeal sure. uh, a certain way for the major cities within the state. Uh, they actually have to try to appeal to the lower, you know, smaller suburban rural parts of America as well. They have yeah. to – they have exactly. to – that to come more to the middle. So in a sense, it also kind of gets rid of the extremism that we are seeing right now in our current political climate. If you do something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And so if you kind of do based on a point system where the majority of the votes would, so that each precinct from my, this I'm speaking, thinking out loud now, each precinct, right. 
the amount of points that they're awarded to would be based on the population. So it's kind of like within the compromise within the compromise, right? It's like mm-hmm. popular vote still matters within that precinct, but it's only worth so many points. Sure. Where it can't drown out the other voters in smaller precincts within the state. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now you've incentivized voters in these smaller precincts that may have felt it's not worth even voting because Los Angeles or San Francisco combined or just Los just Angeles gonna drown out their vote, drown out my vote. Now they have an incentive to go out and vote again. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Same thing Definitely. with New York. Now New York State doesn't have that much power. I mean, they still have power. Obviously, they have they mm-hmm. they're going to get the more they're going to. Winning that d- precinct will be awarded more points, obviously, will be worth more mm-hmm. points, obviously, but it's not going to be so much to where these smaller precincts, the people in there don't feel as though they don't have a they don't have a chance yeah. to have their voices heard in a national election. I will cop and I'm willing to compromise, say something along the lines of like, listen, when it comes to federal elections, this is how it should be. But when it comes to like state elections or local elections, you guys run things however the hell you want. I don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. But the people decide when it comes to national elections. Uh, let them. I think that's a much more fair system, and I think that's mm-hmm. actually a actual solution to the flaws within the electoral college system that we have right now. Gotcha. What do you well, think? That's, that's a fascinating take. No, that's that's. I, I never thought about it that way, but I I think that's a pretty damn good idea. <laughs> it's like that meme or something like that. It's like so. But so like that's a pretty damn good idea. Anyways. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I speak in memes. I I guess it's just uh, how things are nowadays. No, you're good. So yeah, that's so, like my that's my initial long take to what you just said. But I don't know if you want to add mm-hmm. anything to that. But um. No, but yeah. I I wanted to ask you though, like, uh, why would you think that even poll the polling with uh conservatives and republicans would be because you think like republicans and conservatives would be anti like popular vote like in generally speaking and i that's why i was like caught off guard by like thinking that oh like like 42 percent of republicans support the move from a uh, electoral college system do you think it's more a I say a symptom of just how politics are right now. Like, like everybody's moving towards a, like a mob rule kind of mindset. That's an interesting question. Um, I would say it depends. It depends on the trustworthiness of the polls to an extent mm-hmm, as well. Sure. Yeah. As far and as like how many of these conservatives, assault, but yeah. yeah, how many of these conservatives are actually conservatives kind of, you know, they just claim to be conservatives. And so it's like mm-hmm. they have a very loose idea what a conservative is. Sure. Um, because I don't think that's a conservative point of view. No, I have met Republicans um, mm-hmm. that one of them was actually my teacher, uh, my history teacher, not my history teacher, my government teacher in senior high school, senior high school. I can't talk all of a sudden high school, <laughs> senior year. Uh yeah. He is in favor of getting rid of the popular vote because uh, one of the arguments for or the founding fathers had against the popular vote was because the lack of resources certain states would not be able to have because of the education. Uh, it's something to do with education. Like people just weren't mm-hmm. that educated as some states sure. as other states. And so that would kind of out, you know, that wouldn't be fair to those states, to people in those states. So they want to make sure of that. And because of the resources in the internet, we don't need that anymore. You exactly. know, people can, and so people assume that, but they don't realize again, till we just talked about the beauty of the electoral college is that 
if we get rid of the electoral college altogether, then at that point, uh, at that point, you just the candidates will just literally focus on campaigning in cities like Los yeah. Angeles, Chicago, etc. Mm-hmm. Dallas, Austin, <laughs> Miami, New York City. Exactly. Pretty much any city, like generally speaking, leans Democrat. Like the closer, I feel like the closer people live together in proximity, the more democratic they become. And like the opposite is like the farther people live apart from each other, <laughs> the more conservative <laughs> they become. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, <laughs> I think it just depends on the bureaucracy. I think it's part of it's the bureaucracy mm-hmm. yeah, in big cities sure. versus smaller cities. Uh, yeah. Or small towns or rural areas. Uh, there's not as much bureaucracy to deal with in the rural part of America versus big cities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the fast paced life versus the slow paced life. People like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that plays yeah. a factor into like how people think about their politics and how sure, they view absolutely. life. And, you know, and there's, it's not to say, obviously, the conservatives don't exist in big cities. That's not where we're staying or vice versa. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, the preferred lifestyle choices, they tend to the requirements personality wise that they tend to be different uh, yeah. if you live in a bigger city versus a rural sure. uh, or suburban America. I think the and personality we're not like that. This course to everyone yeah. is co- like is the cause, but there is a correlation between the like people living in cities and their political leans. But that's not we're not saying that's set in stone set in stone. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just one of the, you know, there's nuance to the nuance, right? Sure. But uh, to go back to your question, uh, I I think the reason why we're seeing those numbers from conservatives or Republicans with those polls is, uh, I think air quotes they, over the I, conservative. Yeah, I th- and I think they're trying to go, and I think they're specifically like maybe targeting like never Trumpers in particular, as you mentioned. Like mm-hmm. the article made a point that Trump would have not won office in 2016. Um, if it weren't for the electoral college system. So I know there's um, a decent handful of Republicans or registered Republicans who do not like Trump whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd rather see him uh, lose to Joe Biden, even though I think they may be having second thoughts about after uh, the last two years, mind yeah. you, Monday. Uh, <laughs> no, exactly. maybe, but uh, beforehand, they're like, yeah, there's a lot, there's a good handful of Republicans who do not like Trump whatsoever. And there's actually a good handful of like evangelical Christians who do not like Trump and voted for Joe Biden. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard of the evangelicals for Joe Biden. Uh, Unfortunately, that, I have. <laughs> as if he was going to be a better choice. Uh, and it's not to say that I never thought as Trump is like a religious leader by any means. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, and I wouldn't say that he's a. At least if he was a Christian, I would call him a baby Christian at the very least. I would yeah. call him a mature Christian. Um, well, I think with seeing how he treated, though, religious leaders and I, I know people that have actually been Trump had a, a council of religious leaders while he was in office that he had several um, like very big pastors and religious leaders across America being on that faith council. And that I think that was very like smart of him. And I think he did have a soft spot, soft spot in his heart for evil evangelicals and where the Democrats do not. I, I, I well, can't even think 
I can't imagine Biden or any Democrat having a faith council at, in any capacity. Well, there is a side to Trump that the media never showed is that he actually genuinely cared about the American people, including those who disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah. he was one of those presidents during his time of office. What he lacked for uh, personality, I guess, when it comes to public rhetoric, he made up for it in policy. Sure. And the only reason why he was able to be so effective in policy is because he actually listened to people who disagree with him. He would say things like, listen, help me uh, help those who I offended. How can I mm-hmm. help them? And I yeah. think it was like a story with like one of the senators uh, from South Carolina, I think Scott, Tim Scott, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was on the Megyn Kelly show and he was talking to Donald Trump about uh, his rhetoric about the events of Charles. Now, what was it? Charleston, I think yeah. it was. Charlottesville, that's what it was, Charlottesville, sorry. Uh, and how the African-American community didn't appreciate the comments, like there's good people on both sides of the argument. And Which has been though, debunked several times for the well, past, I'm just last say, couple of years, but yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, for the moment in that time period, uh, the senator sp- spoke out against him, and uh, Trump called him into his office, and he was expecting Trump to kind of give him, you know, he was in the crossfires kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Like he'd seen on media how Trump treated those who disagreed with him publicly. And uh, to his surprise, Trump just listened to what he said and was like, how can I help you then? Like, what can I do? Show me the way kind of deal. Yeah. And I, that- I think there's a side of Trump where the the main side is the, the counter puncher that everybody lo- knows and loves. But I think there's a side to him where if you're not like actively trying to fight him, he's he has an open ear and an open door for people like that. And that's the kind of leader you want. You want a leader who will stand up for his beliefs, but you also want a leader who will actually listen to what you have to say as I mean, let's be honest, like what leader wants to work with people who are constantly wanting to who constantly want Burn the worst out of you? Yeah. <laughs> who want who want to crucify you constantly. Yeah. This is just a simple disagreement over rhetoric. And they had mm-hmm. a conversation like grown adults. And then afterwards they had, you know, they had a good they have a good friendship now, apparently. And it's one of those things like you don't really see that side of Donald Trump, but. It's because of that side of Donald Trump that doesn't surprise me that he has a soft spot for evangelicals because even though he may not necessarily be a Christian, I don't know if he is or not. That's between him and God. Sure. Um, I can genuinely, I genuinely believe he genuinely cares about evangelicals and just anyone who, uh, just America in general, like he genuinely loves America. He loves Mm -hmm. Americans and he wants the best out of America. (laughs) And that, 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 I think, was the draw for me. His personality was a turnoff at first. I I didn't support him in the uh, uh, Republican primaries, but when he was the primary and I saw his genuine love for America and like, and not only that, but that just built off of as he was president, like how our troops treated him, like the the genuine like love he had for our service member, men and women. Oh, it's just like like that. That's what drew me towards like Trump and not in like. And I disagree with the cult of personality that surrounded Trump, like the, <laughs> the very like the QAnon guys that were like treated Trump like the second coming of Christ. I disagreed with that, <laughs> but I thought that Trump did very well policy wise, even though his rhetoric rhetoric might have hurt him on some aspects. But I think like he, and especially after 
this week, I think he has a pretty strong run for um, next go around. No, I agree. Um, and I think I would not be surprised that if he actually won the popular vote this time to where even the Democrats can't say, oh, the Electoral College, what for the Electoral College, he would have mm-hmm. lost. Yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised. As a matter of fact, listen, okay, going back to conspiracy theory mode that the tinfoil hat on, <laughs> I'll admit it. I don't have direct evidence. Uh, this is just purely entertainment purposes. But I would not be surprised if one day in our future, the government finally admitted to some serious criminal voter fraud that took place in 2020 that ended up taking votes away from Joe Biden and actually stated that Trump actually won the popular vote indeed. And he actually should have been the sitting president and should have ran, had two consecutive terms, but yeah. And I instead of uh, president Biden, who has the most popular president in American history, got more of the black vote than Barack Obama. Uh, but that's besides the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also like how widely popular he is right now my gosh um people are just jumping up and down for him so (laughs) yeah uh well i think that's uh the end for our news articles for today's show uh thank you so much uh ken for coming on my show i appreciate you um hanging out with me and chatting with me uh where's a good uh, place for people to find you yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure as usual to talk to you. Uh, the people can find me on Instagram and Getter and Truth Social just by typing in in the search bar, Kenjin underscore express. Type in the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express. And then you can also find me on Facebook, uh, tap in taboo topic, uh, singular, not plural. Uh, just so people know, but for the logo that says <laughs> honesty equals understanding, you'll see a yellow logo on a uh, little headset and it'll, ha- it'll look like taboo topic. All right. Just so you know, and I post an episode once a week, uh, right now I have a schedule to where, uh, there's one guaranteed episode a week. And right now it's that blueprint series I told you about, and it's going to come out every Wednesday. And at the last Friday of every month, I'm going to do a monthly review from now on. I did a weekend review. And I was like probably the longest segment, the longest <laughs> continuity segment I could I since I started the show, and I decided that I needed to pace myself with current events. So yeah, um, and I also wanted to make sure my audience got good quality content, even though it was less episodes. At least it was better quality content versus just putting out episodes for the sake of putting out episodes. So sure, yeah, exactly. If, if your audience wants to find me, they can find me on any platforms on the. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you could think of, you could find me as on there. So thanks for having me on. Awesome. No, absolutely, man. And I'd push all my audience to go uh, check you out. But uh, thank you, Ken. Problem, man. Thanks for having me on.